Matt, the assistant pastor here at Charlotte Chapel, and uh, it's my privilege to support Paul and Liam as they lead in this church. And today, today we're going to be carrying on a series that, um, if you've only been here a little while, you might not be that familiar with. We've been working our way very slowly uh, in the mornings through the Psalms, and uh, this morning we've reached Psalm 11. But before we turn there, let me just ask you to reflect for a minute on the world we live in. Now, it has barely been two weeks since somebody blew themselves up in an airport departure lounge not that far from here. I think it's pretty disturbing how easy it is to get anesthetized to this sort of thing. Um, The Economist ran an article with this title. It's, It's called it The New Normal. The New Normal. And Their big idea was that this uh, sudden, terrible assault, mm, the depressing reality is that this is probably going to be normal for the next while. Flights restarted already. Life goes on despite this. The threat here is real. Makes us think, doesn't it? Would you think about going to Paris? Would you think about flying through a major international airport? I would. I would think twice. But it's nothing the threat we face here compared to what people are facing around the world. No question about it. We, we live in a, a dangerous world. A world that somehow seems more dangerous than it did. But it's not just dangerous, it's uncertain as well. I mean, the, the media is getting increasingly excited about the upcoming vote on whether we're going to stay part of the European Union or not. This is a a gigantic decision. It's such a big decision that, frankly, I don't think anyone really knows whether it's going to be better or worse in or out. It's so complicated. It's got huge consequences. It's probably the only thing we can agree on. Whatever decision we make, it's going to have a big impact. We live in this dangerous world. We live in this uncertain world, right, where maybe, maybe this summer... Our relationship with our whole continent is going to change radically. An uncertain world. But for many of us, when you think about things like these, these are just distant blips on the radar, right? These are things that are kind of out there and far away. And the reality of your own personal day-to-day life is much more prominent, much more significant, a much bigger thing in our eyes. The, the, The struggles we face... In every day, the, the, the threats we face to our stability, how things we thought were just going to work in our lives have been turned on their heads. Sometimes it can feel like everything is collapsing around us, like there is nowhere safe left to stand. And maybe that's you this morning. If that's you, you have come to the right place. You come to the right place. When we're, when we're under threat, when our foundations are shaking, how should we respond? That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. That's what we're going to be reading about as we read on and consider in the Psalms. Now, David, a, a, an ancient king over Israel, wrote this psalm thousands of years ago. When he's under threat, when he's in danger, when his world is being shaken, perhaps what he's right still has something to say to us today. So why don't you find with me um, Psalm 11, and if you're going to use one of the church Bibles, uh, that's on page 548, um, Psalm number 11, on page 548. 
And let's read this through together. Psalm 11. For the director of music of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Now, if you can keep that psalm in front of you as you explore it together, as we explore it together, that'd be helpful. If you're working on a phone and you have to keep switching apps all the time, why not just copy the whole psalm into your notes and you can scribble around it there. So what do we see here in Psalm 11? Somebody is obviously having a word in David's ear. Flee! They urge him. The threat level has been raised to maximum and an attack is expected imminently, they say. See in verse 2, his enemies, well, they're ready. They haven't just got their bow. They've bent their bow. The image is that it's ready and waiting. It's imminent. The arrow's not in the quiver anymore. The arrow is placed on the string. They're in the shadows right now. At any moment, they could loose that arrow. Perhaps the next terrorist cell is even now preparing their evil act. Maybe they're strapping on their explosives this morning. Maybe they're lurking in the shadows today or just even hiding in plain view, going around like any one of us. When the world has gone crazy like this, What else is there to do? That's what David's friends are saying. These foundations and the sense you get there is that's kind of civility, that's order, that's kind of the world running as it should. When the foundations are being destroyed, what what can we do? What can anyone do when the world is falling apart like this? What can we do when the the world's gone to pot? Our, Our enemies seem to have the upper hand. Chaos is approaching from the horizon. We can be tempted to flee. That's what David's urged to do here. Flee to the mountains, he's told. Now, I don't think this is meant to be literal, so I don't think what they're saying to David is, you need to go and get your crampons. Um, you know, get an ice axe and some ropes, and if you just, just head on you know, up that giant peak over there and do some good climbing, you're going to be fine up high. No, it says, flee like a bird. Like a bird flits to its mountain. Have you ever tried to catch a bird? Um, so, so we have a dog and our dog's a little, a little bit crazy about birds. She likes the idea of, you know, the, the bird. I think they must smell really good. She likes the idea of eating birds. And uh, 
She is very happy to try and chase them, but most of the time, thankfully, she can't catch them. She can't catch them because when she bounds over towards them, what do they do? They, they fly up to somewhere high, right, to a place of safety. They make their way somewhere safe. Race to safety, David's urged. Race to safety. Go to somewhere they can't get you anymore. And can you hear the same voice whisper in your ear or perhaps just inside your own head in the midst of this danger and this chaos? Just run to somewhere safe. Run away. Protect yourself. Look after yourself. Make yourself secure because nobody else is going to look after you. You've got to take care of yourself. thinking about how people like us might pursue safety today. What, what do we do in this chaotic world, in this unstable world where, where anything might happen? Well, first up, there's always the guns and tin food option, isn't there? You know, when, when the world really is going crazy, if you've never watched Survivors, great BBC um, drama about this. When the world goes crazy, I don't know what it's going to be. You know, it used to be Y2K, if you're old enough to remember that. Or for a while, it was going to be bird flu or SARS or swine flu or uh, Ebola. Right? What's it going to be? But there's going to be some sort of disaster. And the only thing to do is to run away somewhere wild, you know, with guns and tin food and work really fast on getting self-sufficient. You know, I hope you remember a thing or two about farming from, from watching those videos. If society is about to come crashing down, maybe that's the best we can do. Run away. I, I guess you might see the Amish community a little bit like this, right? They've withdrawn from the world. Not on their own, maybe, but together. They've, they've withdrawn from the world. They see the danger in modernity and in technology. And they pull themselves out of the world. And they, they create this separation. They minimize contact with this hostile world around them. Keep the distance, you know, so the contagion can't spread. Perhaps some of us, we would long to put up bigger and higher barriers against the world. Uh, we, we, we wish we lived further away from the mess and the noise and the unpleasantness that's all around us. We wish we could go and make our own new start, a clean and a safe place with only safe and good and right people and right things and close the door to everything outside I don't think there are that many of us who run in that direction. I don't think these are the sort of metaphorical mountains most of us run to. But I think there are more subtle ways we can run for safety. I mean, perhaps we think our savings account has enough firepower to keep us safe. You know, money makes amazing claims for how powerful it is, for how much it can do for you. But even those richest few who are hiding their stuff offshore, well, even for them, their security and their safety's under threat now, isn't it? More likely, I think, we can just withdraw. Withdraw into almost a parallel universe, right? We can just stick our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Think of that as the only way to carry on is just to ignore it. But the problem is the threat is real. The chaos is real. The, the wicked are real and they are active in this world and they are out to get you. The psalmist calls us to another response. He says, I will not flee to the mountains. I will not put my trust in money and power. He's the king. He's got an army of horses. He's got more gold than you can shake a stick at. 
He's not going to bury his head in the sand even. He's going to take refuge in the Lord. That's what verse 1 says. And then take refuge in the Lord. That's where he's going to find his security and his safety. And how can he do that in the middle of a world filled with chaos where his friends are telling him there's this immediate, urgent threat? How can he do that? He has perspective. And we need that perspective. Watch, watch as the, the, the verbal camera angle pivots in the psalm here. Okay, so one moment, there we are. We're looking in the shadows. We're wondering who's down there. There's a guy crouched, ready to attack. The next moment, what does the camera do? It pans up. It zooms out. And these things start to fall into perspective. The world grows smaller and smaller underneath that. The arrow, these arrows, well, I can't even see them anymore. The horizon expands further and we see more and more of the globe. And all that chaos and all that uncertainty, now it just looks like gentle ripples on the lake of the world, zooming out from these arrows. These arrows pointed at me. What do I see? I see the Lord reigning in the heavens. Zooming out from the chaos and the panic, what do I see? I see God's stately throne room. See how extreme that context is? That, that, that switch, we're looking down, we're looking close in, we're seeing the urgency and the danger here, and then we look up and out, we see God We get things in perspective. The Lord is in his temple. What does that mean? It's a picture of God's presence with us, God's presence among us, his closeness, his his imminence with his people. He's not distant and remote. He meets with his people in the temple. He's among his people. He's well aware. He's not ignorant of what's happening to us. The Lord is on his throne. A picture of God's majesty and authority, his supremacy. He reigns as sovereign all the power in the whole universe is at his command and the earth spins silently below him there he sits watching examining that's the way verse 4 puts it nothing escapes his attention right God is able in a glance to take in the whole world In a glance, he looks at you and me and everyone, and he doesn't just see our hairstyle. He sees into our minds and our hearts. He sees through us. The Lord isn't just watching distantly. It's not like, you know, the commercials have come on and he's eyes glazed over. things. It's not like that. God is deeply and passionately interested He watches over to examine, to test. Verse 5, he examines the righteous. He examines the wicked and those who love violence. But he doesn't just examine. Our God is not just passive in all of this. He prepares to judge. The wicked, it says, and those who love violence, his soul hates what verse 5 says his soul hates we might translate that he passionately hates them that's kind of the sense you get from his soul hates God hates evil now for for some this is not a a popular notion right for some what's God well he's the the heavenly grandfather with the long white beard in the sky who's just nice to everyone and a very kindly old gentleman smiling down 
benevolently. Or maybe, maybe lots of people's picture is that there's this, this sky spirit, this spark of the divine, you know, this feeling of oneness and love, an impersonal force. Well, that's not so much trouble, but that's not the God the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about a God who actively hates the wicked and those who love violence, a God who isn't just a bystander in this drama on earth. When he sees the things going on here, he doesn't think, oh, well, he hates. It's not a popular notion, but it is a biblical notion. He's not just mildly ticked off. He's not at all disinterested. He doesn't just watch impassively. You know, he set this whole thing up and now he's just watching it spin out like a clockwork to see what happens. Not at all. No, our God hates the wicked and those who love violence. So what the Bible says. He's close to his people, yet seated in heaven with all power. He hates the wicked and those who love violence. So the question we have to ask is, why are they still here? If he's examined them, if he knows who they are, if he sees right through them, why are they still here? Why are those who so plainly love violence still among us, still active in our world as we saw so brutally in that airport lounge? Because the Lord is patient. His righteousness and justice is certain, but he's patient in bringing it. Listen to these words from Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3, uh, starting in verse 7. Peter writes, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, no. Instead, he is patient. Patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. what Peter writes to a people who are suffering. Well, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not slow in bringing justice. It's not slowness, it's patience. It's patience because he wants people to turn. Turn away from evil. Turn towards rightness. He's patient. He's patient with you, Peter says. Perhaps that's some of you here today. God is patient with you. Not ignoring your sin. Not disinterested in it, but just patient. He wants you to come to repentance, to turn away from self-sufficiency. And so he waits, but he only waits for a time, right? That's very clear. One day the time will be up, someday, any day, perhaps tomorrow. And then the wicked will meet justice full force. We'll go back to Psalm 11. The psalm continues. In verse 6, he'll rain down fiery coals and burning sulfur. That's a picture of destruction. Would ring bells if you knew your Bible with Genesis, with Sodom and Gomorrah, with God's judgment there. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, the psalm says. 
Justice will be done. It's not, nothing is going to be missed. Nothing's going to get swept under the carpet in the end. Evil has not gone unnoticed. Violence will not be overlooked. The wickedness practiced on this earth every single day, it will not go unpunished. The score will be settled. And those who trust in him, who look to him for refuge, Psalm comes back to them at the end. In verse 7, the great promise, they will see his face. That's where the psalm ends. So the psalmist takes refuge in God, but what does it mean? What does it actually mean for us to take refuge in the Lord? What does that actually look like? Is, is, Is taking refuge in the Lord just not running away? Is it just not this withdrawal we've been talking about, maybe into our own community or just ignoring? Is it just standing our ground? Is that what it means to take refuge in the Lord? More than that, it is not trusting ourselves, but trusting God for our security and for our safety for our protection, putting our full confidence in God in the face of our enemies, in the midst of the world. That's what taking refuge is. It's entrusting our security, taking it off our own backs and entrusting it to Him. And when we refuse to live lives preoccupied with our own security and safety, when we don't spend all of our waking moments running after how am I going to look after myself well it frees us we don't focus our lives around number one it frees us to focus picture this with me okay imagine you are standing behind a dam it's a huge giant dam one of those enormous ones and you know on the other side of this enormous concrete wall there's an unfathomable amount of water there's just a a gigantic quantity of water and you live behind the dam you live in the, 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 the dry valley behind the dam now each day you pace up and down thinking well I'm not sure who built this dam maybe it was the Chinese contractors I'm not sure but I'm a little anxious about this you walk to one end, you walk to the other, spying for the first signs of a crack or a drop. Is there a leak here? You know, on the other side is destruction. Is the dam okay? Is it all right? You pace up and down every day. Your eyes are peeled. You wonder, well, is that a crack? Oh no, it's just a, it's just a blade of grass that's got stuck on the dam. You wonder, is it going to hold? And then one day you discover that all along, actually, there'd been a whole government department. The only reason for their existence was to watch and protect this dam. There are thousands of people standing ready at any moment. There are cameras trained on it around the clock. There are experts. There are sensors built in. Nothing could happen. What happens to you when you discover that? You feel this freedom. It's not all down to you. It doesn't all depend on you. It's not ultimately yours. Someone else has got this. Then you realize you're not sufficient. You never were sufficient. What would you have done if you saw a crack? 
You're going down anyway. Taking refuge in God, trusting Him, it frees us. It gives us back our life. We don't have to look after ourselves. It frees us to focus on other things, on His kingdom, on His purposes. Remember what we read earlier in the service from Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew, that this way we chase safety and security, this endless task we mostly preoccupied with taking care of ourselves, Jesus says ultimately that's futile. Ultimately, it will not work. It can't work. We're not sufficient. We don't actually have the power to take care of ourselves. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. There's no equivocation there. There's no uncertainty. It's black and white. You cannot do it. This will not work. Then he shows us the other side. Well, whoever loses their life for me they will find it. Jesus calls us to find our life paradoxically by losing it, by letting go of it to follow him. Verse before, Matthew 16, 24, taking up our cross and following him. Taking refuge in God, entrusting ourselves to him rather than trying to flee and save ourselves frees us to serve and follow him wherever that might lead. Perhaps this is all sounding a bit abstract. What does it actually look like to picture taking refuge in God rather than trying to fend for ourselves? What does it, what does it mean to be freed to follow him? Jesus has walked this very road before us. In fact, the, the words we read where Jesus is speaking about saving and losing lives, those words are just at the point where Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, where he decides, I am going. Back in Matthew sixteen twenty one, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem. Peter thought it was a terrible idea, right? Peter was like, you are crazy. This is the wrong plan. Effectively, Peter says, flee like a bird to your mountain. Wicked are bending their bows, Jesus. They're going to kill you. But rather than trying to protect himself and keep himself safe, Jesus sets out to pursue God's kingdom and God's purposes. He walks right into their sights, you might say. That's Jesus taking refuge in God. That's Jesus trusting in God's righteousness rather than trying to look after himself. And it comes into sharpest focus at the cross. Is Jesus going to flee that last supper? He knew what was coming. Is he going to seek to save himself from God's enemies? No, the cross. He entrusts himself to God, the one who judges justly. Listen again to these words from Peter, the same Peter who watched Jesus take this refuge in God. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 21. He says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, 
and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus takes refuge in God. He takes refuge in God. He entrusts himself to God's justice exactly at the cross. But then then this parallel seems to break down. How does Jesus taking refuge in God work out for him? His enemy strikes from the shadows. It's as if the arrow from this Psalms verse 2 hits home. Jesus dies and all all is lost. Jesus um, reaps the whirlwind, his lot, in verse 6 in the psalm. Literally the portion of his cup is the cup of God's wrath. It won't pass from him. Remember Jesus pleads in the garden. He falls with his face to the ground and prays, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. But it's not possible. It won't be taken from him. Instead, he drinks it dry. Has it all gone wrong? Taking refuge in God, has this worked? Jesus walked that path in our place. He bore the judgment from God that God promised to the wicked like he promises in this psalm. He bore that very judgment for the wicked, for those who hate violence, even though he, like Peter wrote, he'd never done anything. He committed no sin. He retaliated nothing to all their attacks. He made no threats. A mistake? No. He took the punishment. He bore the wrath. He drank the cup dry so that those who trust in him don't have to. Even though we know ourselves, not be perfect really to fall in the camp of the wicked if we're honest but then this is not the end of the story death cannot hold him there's a, a, another chapter there's an extended edition available a postscript still to come Jesus rises and he rises to see God's face just as the righteous will do in the psalm the last enemy is conquered his supremacy is complete now When you read this psalm, where do you imagine yourself? Do you imagine yourself among the righteous, among those who are terribly oppressed by all these wicked and evil, the one who ought to be allowed to see God's face? Well, we remember God's eyes see all. From his heavenly vantage point, he sees everything. Perhaps there are things you can hide from others. Perhaps there are things you can even hide from yourself, put them away and forget about them, pretend they were never there. But God, God knows, even though nobody here knows your secrets, God knows your secrets and he is a God of justice like the psalm says. He loves justice. We belong on this other path, right? We belong on this path of justice. We belong on this path of receiving the cup, of reaping the whirlwind, of falling and Jesus offers us his path he says instead come to life with me rise to see God's face 
He offers that path to us. Have you chosen? Have you accepted his offer this morning? Without his offer, the justice path is the path you are on. Jim Elliott is a, a, a very famous missionary name. Perhaps many of you will know his story. Him and his team uh, were missionaries trying to reach a very fierce tribe in uh, the Ecuadorian jungle. Um, nobody had made contact with them before. They had run a series of kind of flybys. They'd sent treats and presents to them. They thought it was all going rather well. They wanted to share the good news of Jesus with them. Jim wrote these words in his journal um, in 1949 familiar to many I'm sure he wrote he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose when they landed uh, on the beach to meet the tribe they were under threat they were in danger and his whole team were killed by the very people they had come to share the good news with should they have fled should they have fled to the mountain like a bird or in their case should they never have put their security at risk in the first place should they have looked after themselves and kept themselves safe now you see Jim understood there is no real security in this world There's no real security we can get for ourselves anywhere, no matter what you have or who you know. In the end, death comes for us all. Life is something we cannot keep, so take refuge in the Lord. Forget racing after your own security and follow Him. And Jim, who lived in the light of that ultimate security this psalm speaks about, The upright will see his face. That can be your security too. As we close, returning once more to the psalm, what does this have to say to you and me? Are we under threat? Yes, we're definitely under threat. Are we in a world where the foundations are shaken? Absolutely. On the global, on the national scale, certainly, but in our personal and individual places too. Must we then flee? Do you need to run away to look after yourself, to hide? Have we already fled? How much of your life is occupied with scanning that dam, worrying about the leak, wondering whether you'll be washed away? The psalm calls us to trust God instead, to recognize we're not capable, we're not sufficient, we're not able anyway. It would never work, we could never save ourselves. But he promises he will. His challenge to you today is, will you take your eyes off yourself and put your trust in him? Where is it that you run after your own safety and security? What is it that you need to let go of to pursue God? Let's pray together.